Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today as we broadcast live from agmarket.net's Farming for Profit, Not Price Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here with us as we have a jam-packed show on tap for you here today. Talking about the markets, we're going to discuss the dairy market and cattle with Robin Schmall of agmarket.net and Ag Dairy coming up later in the show. We'll talk to Brian Burke, the president of John Stewart and Associates, coming up here in segment three. In segment two today, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net will join us to discuss the markets and specifically look at the soybean market. But joining us now, first kicking off the show, Tyler Shaw of agmarket.net. He's based up in North Dakota. Tyler, good to catch up with you, sir. Hope you're doing well. Yeah doing real good good to meet you yeah great to meet you too and uh, thanks for sitting down and chatting with us here busy conference a lot of great information i know you spoke yesterday you had a great presentation uh here talking about the markets talking a little more on the technical side look at just what you kind of talked about yesterday what was the response from folks here in attendance just with your presentation here yesterday yeah, so I, I got to speak on options, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of the basics of options. Kind of went through a quick review on, on what they were and then some, some option-type strategies for producers that they might want to look at that some of the other speakers are going to be talking about to ways to protect themselves. The response we got was pretty good, I guess. Uh, you know, options mm-hmm. aren't always that uh, exciting to talk about, and a lot of times, you know, producers aren't willing to admit some of the stuff they don't understand. And so it was a good time to just kind of go over some of the the technicalities of how options work and how they can help the producer uh, get some crop hedged, uh, you know, at at these prices, which uh, might not be 2022 prices, but uh, be hard pressed to find a lot of years where you've been able to lock in this kind of profitability this early. Well, and I wanted to start our conversation with that, you know, looking at options, because a lot of what we talk about on the show here, a lot of what I talk to, you know, the other guys on the team at agmarket.net is that risk management and protecting your bottom line. And I think about this year, you know, we're getting ready to plant probably the most expensive crop we've ever planted here in the U.S. And we look at where prices are right now, whether we're talking, you know, corn, beans, wheat, specialty crops of any kind. I mean, it just feels like it's so important to manage that downside risk because we don't know necessarily when the carpet's going to get pulled out from under us here, Tyler. No, no. I mean, one, we never know that. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, I I was just in the the conference room, Matt Bennett speaking, and and if anyone ever gets a chance to go listen to Matt Bennett, number one, Mm -hmm. they should. But he was just covering that idea that, you know, we're in the fourth year now of this kind of run up in commodity prices. And when you look back at some of these other large moves higher the fourth year was the the downside yeah and so you know we're like i said we're, we're looking at opportunities right now that for most producers 
uh, will create some some profit opportunities. Like I said, won't be as good as last year, uh, but there are ways to to get that floor locked in, leave the upside open, stay flexible, and so it's just you know uh, well, one of the sayings you've probably heard other guys with ag market say is buy puts when you can, not when you have to. And this mm-hmm. is one of those times when you can, and uh, it's a good way to kind of get your marketing kicked off for the year. Well, and I know as well, we think about getting ready for this year and the acreage battle coming up. As I mentioned, you're in North Dakota, you know, looking at spring wheat. What are those acres going to look like this year? What is corn bean acres going to look like as a whole? I've heard the talk of more wheat acres. I mean, there's just a plus throw in specialty crops too, whether we're thinking sunflowers or sugar beets, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a, there's a lot of folks who are really watching, especially in the Northern Plains this year, to see what that acreage battle shapes up to be and in turn how that translates into the markets as a whole, Tyler. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna throw out a, a something else too, that uh, there is a, a new crush plant for soybeans coming online in Spiritwood, North Dakota. It's been, yep. it's been work, in the works for a while now, but they have just started uh, putting out their bid sheet uh, for next fall and winter and, and even next spring. Um, the, the rule of thumb in North Dakota is 95% of the soybeans we grow have always, in recent years, gone on a train to the Pacific Northwest and went to China. And, and so the rule of thumb for the farmer was you needed to have your beans gone by January or early February at the latest. So most of the producers you know, are out of beans by this time of the year. The bid sheet coming out from this crush plant, since they know most farmers are going to try to push those out the door, uh, you know, they got to try to secure beans that they can crush all year round. So their basis is already at a zero basis for April and May of next year. So I think uh, that that increase in c- crush capacity, there's a few more coming online in Minnesota. There's another one planned in Grand Forks. That's going to change our principal crop acres some over the next few years. A lot of producers like growing soybeans in North Dakota. We get pretty decent yields. It's a low input or lower input uh, crop than corn and wheat and sunflowers. So I think that's going to start changing things. I should ask you some livestock thoughts as well here, especially this cattle market. Um, Most everyone I've talked to has been some sort of bullish in this cattle market. I've heard a lot of optimism from ranchers here starting this year as we are getting set to rebuild the herd. They feel like they have leverage over the packer right now. What's your thoughts in this cattle market as we begin 2023? Uh, I would echo those sentiments. I would argue that it's really going to depend on how this drought plays out in the, the southern and central plains. Uh, you know, we haven't started rebuilding that herd yet, and it doesn't matter how high-priced cattle get uh, until the, the producer feels like he's got ample feed supplies, that he can quit sending old cows to town, try to keep her back, and, and maybe pull one or two more calves out of her. Uh, he's definitely not going to start holding heifers back to to build the herd back up. And so I think it it literally, and I've been arguing this for a while now, it all comes down to when do we get drought-busting rains in that country where the producer finally feels like it's okay to hold back some cattle? Because they would love to, but uh, if you've ever raised cattle and and had to go buy $300 a ton hay, it it, Mm -hmm. don't matter how high-priced feeder calves go, it it makes it pretty tough to, to make it worth your while. Or if you're not buying hay, you know, six, seven dollar corn, yep. that ain't doing much for the bottom line either. No, and that yeah, that's the other part of that. Uh, you know, the 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 western corn basis had a terrible year last year with drought, and that's not any type of a new story. But to get corn in the bunk in cattle feeding countries over eight dollars a bushel, and that that makes the feeding margins pretty tight. 
So, you know, I think it, it it's going to come down to when does it rain. We know it'll rain at some point, but that's that's the key. So what I've been trying to tell uh, my, my producers, at least in the northern plains, um, especially on – so we, we, we run a lot of stalker calves out there, mm-hmm. buying them right now, and then we'll kick them out on grass all summer. Um, if you're going out and buying these calves in this market right now, use some type of strategy to, to lock – and I'm not saying sell the board – um, I'm real big on using put options or vertical put spreads or even looking at the LRP, the livestock revenue protection products that are out there. Uh, you know, the cow-calf guy, I, I'm still, you know, you should be doing something to lock him. I mean, this is probably going to be the second highest priced calf crop you'll sell in, in, in recent history. Um, so it's worth doing something. Uh, you know, they don't have quite as much risk laid out there as the guy that's going out and buying high-priced calves to turn them out on grass. So, so. Yeah, a lot of great things to consider. With that, Tyler Shaw, agmarket.net. Thanks for joining us here at the conference in Nashville, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Good to meet you. Up next, Jim McCormick, agmarket.net. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation, this is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here as we broadcast live from agmarket.net's Farming for Profit, Not Price conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Pleased to have with us our good friend Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, great to uh, catch up with you in person, sir. It is great to be down in Nashville and see you, uh, you know, in person as opposed to video. So thanks for coming out to our conference. Yeah, I know we have the uh, we have the luxury of connecting via video, uh, you know, weekly, but uh, always great to catch up in person. And you guys, uh, just in general, the conference great turnout here. A lot of a uh, lot of great information. I know uh, you guys, the whole team speaking, a lot of other folks have come in just to kind of of a great place for farmers and producers to get some important knowledge here as we head into the 2023 season. No doubt about it. Like I said, we're very proud of it. You know, we do think as we get into this 22-23 crop year, the spring planning, it's going to be very critical to lock in the profit, plain and simple. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, probably some of the most uncertain times you've ever had. You've got the crisis in the Ukraine. You've got political you know, pressure in China right now. We Remember, we've been in a trade war for going on four or five years now that started under President Trump. Joe Biden added it a little bit with the chips. You know, we all know what happened with that whole balloon thing last <laughs> week, which is, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to get the politics of it all, but the reality is it, you know, there, you know, we probably were trying to get a little bit closer together. You know, uh, Secretary Blinken was supposed to go to China with try to maybe smooth these edges over a little bit. That, that kind of blew up. And that is something we need to be very concerned about because the reality is, if China's not buying our beans, we become a, it becomes a legit problem. And that's kind of where I lead to into the bean. I, I did the bean presentation today is, you know, we're at that time of year, Jesse, where China shifts its buying habits from the U.S. to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had some pretty good inspections and sales the last couple of weeks. I think that has to do with the delayed harvest due to the wet weather in the parts of Brazil. But as that calendar starts to slip into mid-February, even that delayed harvest is eventually going to pick up, and I think we're going to lose those export sales. And if you're a producer out there with old crop beans, it's something I think you need to be very cognizant about. So if you're the Chinese, you're looking at a harvest coming in in Brazil, picking up speed. The reality is Brazil selling beans quite a bit cheaper than we are for that far, you know, that March-April time frame. Throw in the politics of it all, it's something, like I said, demand could become a problem near term. Well, and thinking near term as well, I know there has been a little bit of concern floating about some of the harvest delay in Brazil. But as you said, 
harvest picking up there. Doesn't feel like, unless it stretches out here another two weeks, doesn't feel like it's going to be a major issue when it comes to harvest of soybeans and then planting of the safrina crop. Well, that's it. It shouldn't be a huge problem. Now, for the corn, it is something we need to keep an eye on because I know a couple of years ago, you might remember, they did get the crop out late. The safrina crop was planted late, and we kind of ran out of water. So that crop kind of got hit. So it's something we need to keep an eye on. But, you know, at this point, there's still plenty of time to give window to get that crop planted. And if you're a producer in the United States, you want to keep an eye on it. Because if Brazil does have a big safrina crop, and we follow up with 91, 92 million acres of corn, and we end up with a relatively mild summer and have trend yield plus, you're probably going to add to that carryout quite a bit. And that just tells me, unfortunately, you're not looking at $6 corn if all those uh, puzzle pieces fall in, in, into the wrong place, in essence. Now, back to the soybeans a little bit here. And we've talked about this too, and it just feels like out of corn, beans, wheat, there's a little more bearishness in this bean market, and I know you kind of alluded to it here near term. I mean, if I'm a producer, risk management-wise, if I'm holding any old crop beans, it's, it's probably that time to think about moving them and thinking new crop as well. I, mean, I love your thoughts here, but I feel like it might be a time to lock in some floors possibly. I think you got to be very cognizant that, that I, like I said, like I was mentioning, I think the clock is really getting close to striking midnight on these export sales. And then essentially mm -hmm. you, if that's the case, then you're just betting on your crush facilities pretty much to keep that bid going. Now, if you're an area that maybe has got a strong crash market selling to a crusher, maybe your bid's going to stay a little bit stronger. But, you know, I always like I tell people, I hate to bet everything on the Chinese. And the reality is the worst case scenario, and this is, I'm not saying it's a guarantee it's going to happen, but let's face it. China has been known to cancel purchases that were previously made, especially if they can turn around and buy those same beans in South America, a whole heck of a lot cheaper. And the spread between the U.S. cash price and the Brazilian cash price is getting wide enough that they could start doing that. So I don't, you know, if I'm a producer, I got to look at the price of beans or where they're trading at today, do the math and look at the yields you had and say, you know, how much, what exactly you want? Because the other thing you got to remember, Jesse, is the cost of money this year. It is a game changer, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just to give you an example, if you're a million, you know, if you have a million dollar line of credit last year, your interest may have cost you $30,000. This year, maybe 80, 90, 100,000, depending on your interest rates. So, you know, the, the weight the producer's got to decide is if I'm holding these few thousand beans back, what are you holding them back for? And how much of a price hike do you have to have between the current price to what you want to store them to July versus the storage cost as well as the cost of money? Because if you look at the price of futures, they're paying more for beans today than they are for July. So the market's saying, I want the beans now. So, you know, you're going to, you're kind of betting the long game. And if it doesn't come to fruition and we end up having a good crop, I'd say, unfortunately, I think prices will be lower by late summer with a good crop. Well, and to your point, you know, with me, I'm just a broadcaster. I don't have skin in the game. I'm not hanging on to any soybean crop. I know it's emotional for farmers, but sometimes I hear a story about, you know, a farmer is basically worried over 10 cents in the market and they hold it and then it goes down 30. I mean, sometimes, you know, and I know this is what you guys are preaching a lot here, talking about at the conference and, and just in general. Look at that bottom line and the and the profit there. Is ten cents really a, a make or break for you if it I, if it pencils out correctly? I, I agree. I mean, I understand. You know, ten cents is a lot in yes. a way, but ten cents means a lot more when corn is trading at three fifty to four dollars. Mm -hmm. When you look at the difference of being able to sell corn, you know, six eighty, but I want seven. 
the reality is that 10, 20 cents with the yields nine out of 10 producers had. Now, if you're in a drought area, it's a little bit tough, but if you were in an area that maybe had decent crops, if you do the math, the risk reward is how much are you know you're how much are you risking to make that extra ten cents? You make a great point because look how quick the bean market broke here on the new crop beans. It seemed like just a few weeks ago they're at fourteen dollar beans. They went down below thirteen fifty. They've come back, but the world changes so fast. And my big fear we've been talking quite a bit about beans as a corn as we as we get into mid February into March. The debate is going to be corn acres mm-hmm. and. The common wisdom, I think, is 90, 91 million acres of corn are going to be planted. That seems to be the relatively common. I've heard a few higher. But the wild card is, as we're talking to all these producers that we've had from all over the country at our conference, it doesn't matter if you're in North Dakota, if you're in southern Illinois, if you're out in Nebraska farming irrigated corn, the money's in the corn this year, not the beans. That's a great thought and the, something, yeah, we're so going to have to watch. I'm not saying everyone's going to switch to corn. I'm not saying telling everyone's going to go, you know, Central Illinois is all going to plant corn. But this is one of those years where you sometimes get a guy that says, yeah, I may be that extra field. I'm going to get it back into a corn-on-corn rotation and pick up 10, you know, 10 acres here, 20 acres here, maybe one field here. But, you know, if you take, there's roughly 90 million acres of corn we plant, 90 million acres of beans. They roughly, it shifts 92, 88. But if you start skewing that, just, you know, every farmer just says, hey, the corn's a little bit more profitable. We skew, all of a sudden we're at 93 million acres for some mm-hmm. reason. We throw a trend yields in, we've got a real problem potentially by the fall. And what I mean by real problem, you're not looking at $6 corn. You're probably looking at five, in some areas probably sub five. If you take 93, 94 million, 92 to 93, even 94, worst case scenario, and a trend yield. Jim, one other thought as well before we run out of time. You know, you mentioned uh, quite a bit about China, and I know you and I talk China quite a bit. With renewable diesel coming online, those crush, you know, plants here in the U.S., I know this is a few more years down the road, but one has to wonder if relations with China continue to be bad, we start to lose Chinese exports. Maybe crush makes up for some of that demand here in the U.S., but that that feels like, if anything, that might be a net-net if something like that were to happen. That's probably what's going to happen in reality. What's What we're going to do is it's not like we're going to overall, in my opinion, increase the overall demand for beans. What's going to happen is we're going to take two, 300 million more bushels of beans. They're going to stay domestically, and we're just going to lose some of that export business. Because the one thing we know about Brazil, you know, they're going to continue to expand their production capacity. They're going to, you know, their yield potential and all that. So I think in the big picture, this renewable fuels is great for American agriculture. It keeps our demand domestically. It keeps jobs domestically. And better, more importantly, you don't have to count on the Chinese to bring that demand to the table. So I think it's a good thing. It's going to take a few years to build out, but it's something you need to be excited about if you're involved in American agriculture. Well, Jim, as always, uh, appreciate the time, insight, and uh, thanks for having me here at the conference uh, this year. And, uh, you know, the uh, the invite's always open to come to Nashville. Anytime you guys want to be here, oh. I'll make sure the door's open for you. <laughs> we will. We had a great time here, folks. If you've never been in Nashville, I'm going to give a little promotion. Come to Nashville. Uh, you know, go down. It's it's an exciting, fun town to be in. Definitely. Jim McCormick, agmarket.net. Thanks for joining me here today on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And always great to talk with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Coming up here, we're going to continue our coverage at agmarket.net's Farming for Profit, Not Price Conference in Nashville. Brian Burke, the president of John Stewart Associates, joins us next here as we're back with more Market Talk right after the break. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Joining us now here on the program at the agmarket.net Farming for Profit, Not Price Conference in Nashville. Pleased to have with us the president of John Stewart and Associates, JSA. Brian Burke is with us. Brian, great to catch up with you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Ah, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Well, let's dive right in, Brian, and uh, talk about these markets. And I think just in general, you know, I look at uh, grain and oilseed trade to start this week fairly quiet. I know we got a report day coming up on Wednesday, but overall, it feels like a, a lack of fresh news to kind of start the week. But there are plenty of news items underlining this trade right now and just kind of it's We've been seeing it for months, contributing to the volatility in these markets, Brian. Yeah, for sure. There, there's. It seems like we're never at a at a shortage of topics, but I, I agree. The start of the week has been a, a little bit lethargic. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're trying to f- kind of figure out some of the South American weather issues, which have been a little bit. We're kind of getting long in the tooth, I think, on the Argentine drought story. You know, you, you can only price in so much of that every day before it starts to feel a little tired. Yeah. Um, we do have this. You know, large South American crop within Brazil that's really starting to pick up steam. It's been a little bit late. That's caused some some business to come out of the United States, kind of in the spot market that has been a little supportive to export premiums here in the last week or two. You know, we're we're definitely tra- transitioning to South America as it relates to soybeans. It's just how quick, how fast, and do we have any spot boats coming back to the U.S. or not? And again, so some of those stories are pretty played out in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing probably to watch for South America at this point is we know that Argentina's dry. We have the issues there, but some of this delay with this Brazilian harvest and subsequent safrina corn planting, mm-hmm. if that continues, I wonder how big of a story that could become in our market. Well. Uh, certainly. And, and I'll just use the last two years as an example. So if you do talk about Safrina corn, two years ago, we were, we were late in getting you know behind that soybean harvest and that pushed it into the dry season. And that Safrina corn crop was really challenged mm-hmm. uh, two summers ago. It just the opposite happened last year. It was an early harvest to soybeans. It was an early planting to corn and they got most of them, the, the crop matured and did very well and had a record corn crop uh, in front of that dry season in Brazil, which uh, you know has resulted in, in the record corn production this year. So the fact that they're trending late on their soybean harvest does cause a little bit of concern on how quickly the corn crop gets put in. But it's, you know, it's, it's still not out, outside of a, a range of normal. I mean, when you look at year-over-year comparisons, yes, we're later than last year, but we're not much later than the five-year average either as it relates to soybean harvest and then therefore corn planting in Brazil. But as big as Brazil is, it's, it's a country to, to watch for sure. Now, I would ask you on kind of the end user side, you alluded to this, we kind of have the soybean window staying open here in the U.S., corn window waiting for it to open up. Obviously, we got the dynamics with China right now. We got the dynamics with the South American crop, et cetera. I look at basis here in the countryside, you know, for the farmer. I mean, there, there's so many things wrapped up in this cash side. What? How do you feel just 
from the end user's side, what are you hearing there as far as how they're feeling about this market as a whole right now? Sure. Uh, you know, the end user side overall this time of year is, is pretty well covered. The dynamics you have in the United States is some of the highest interest rates we've seen in 15 years. You have a commercial grain system that really doesn't want to hold ownership. It mm -hmm. costs money to hold ownership. It costs more per bushel per month to hold that ownership. Uh, so they're, they're letting it go. And this time of year, we also typically see some, some traditional farmer movement. So if you look at the entire crop year, this January, February is not the most difficult two months to buy corn or to buy soybeans. And, and, and that's playing out relatively well. We had some basis premiums in the fall. We came off of a short crop. We've got a very short crop of corn in the West as we've had to do a little bit of East-West trading to kind of fill that hole in the West. And to, the, to a large extent, that's been done so far. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact we could still see some fireworks this late spring and summer. It's just we're in that cash market period of time that's uh, a little heavy. Uh, coverage is pretty decent. And, and, and the flat price has kept the farmer engaged to a degree. And the commercial elevators just don't want to hold it. So all those things are combining at, at this time of the year you know, for a, a relatively soft feeling cash market. Now, on the flip side, I know last year we, we couldn't stop talking about logistical issues, whether it was rail, river, truck, you name it. What are you seeing on that side of it as we get into 23 and look ahead? It feels like there's been some easing of some of the logistical issues. And there has. I mean, if you start with the different types of transportation, trucks are still a challenge, just simply putting drivers in all the trucks. And that still, I think, is an issue. But as you look at the rail and the barge side of things, we've come off of historically high barge freight this winter and, and, and fall into the winter. And we're back down into a bit more of a reasonable range. We're still kind of high, but not 2,000% of tariff high. So that's moderated quite a bit. I think the rail side is where we've seen also some pretty major improvement. Mm -hmm. You know, turn times of shuttle trains, whether they be to the southeastern feed markets or to the uh, Texas panhandle, we've gone through periods of time where the average turn time this fall was double what it normally is. And we're really starting to see those come back into a pretty normal range. And we even have some clients that have said, look, I've got some trains back um, a little bit quicker than average. You know, a, a turn from Indiana to uh, North Carolina for a corn train that might take, uh, you know, eight or nine days on average came back in four. Mm -hmm. So to see those types of things is a good sign. You know, smooth running logistics uh, makes everyone's life a little easier. <laughs> it definitely does. Definitely does. Let, let's think specifically new crop here as we're getting ready to plant arguably the most expensive crop we ever have here in the U.S. I know a lot of great discussion here during the conference this week, but in your mind and as you talk to producers and more as they're gearing up for this 23 season, they're looking at where new crop prices are on the board right now. I know there's some some bearish concerns out there for folks in this market. So what would you say to producers as they're thinking about this 23 crop? What I've run into a lot this winter, especially as we talk with producers, is, you know, the psychology of, of, of risk management and, and producers selling forward uh, production. You always look at what you've done the last couple of years, and the mistake of the last couple of years, if you want to call it a mistake, I, I wouldn't use that term, but when they look back at their marketing decisions, they look at the last couple of years and say, 
the earlier sales I've made have been my worst sales. We've seen opportunities in the spring and summer to do better. And so we do have producers, I think, more undersold for the fall this year. And I see it in all the country elevator co-op type systems and ethanol plants that we work with. Their fall book is smaller than it has been the last couple of years. So we have a lot of evidence that the producer has not marketed as much of his new crop corn and beans this year. And I'm worried that that might be kind of a mistake again, the opposite side. We do have a super expensive crop getting put in the ground, $6 in, or thereabouts for Dece corn futures. And, you know, right now it's maybe in the uh, 13, 60 or 70 range for new crop bean futures. And we've been at that 14 level a little bit. I really think that's an area to, to, to really establish a line in the sand for a producer. We're looking at that as that's a great place to start with a pretty healthy chunk of production that you are comfortable forward marketing. And then you can use some tools to defend that throughout the spring. But putting that line in the sand at six and just under 14 uh, makes a lot of sense to me. And it's still one of the highest starting points you've had for, for new crop sales. It's, we, we need to keep in context of what we've done the last five years, not just what the high was last summer as, and, as, as targets. And that's a big thing we talk about on the show is risk management and being smart and, and thinking about farm, you know, farming today in 2023, it, it, it's big business, a lot of dollars sure. on the table, and you have to be smart about your risk management. The Sometimes the set it and forget it method doesn't necessarily work anymore. No, I, well, I've, I've never really been a subscriber to that type of method. I always think there's things that you need to defend, but to be able to take this type of crop, this expensive of a spring crop and, and, and manage risk at a level that allows you a positive return on that crop is paramount. And then being able to defend that with you know, maybe there's some long strategies that you attach to your physical sales that, that kind of let you sleep at night going through the spring and the summer when we typically do see some weather volatility and all those types of things. I would much rather attack this year's new crop marketing efforts that way than sitting back being 0% sold or, or a very insignificant amount sold and, and just wait for $7 dees. I mean, to me, that just feels way too risky. I'm not saying we can't go to $7 dees. I'd rather have a $6 base put on and see what I can do to, you know, take what the market gives me in the next three to four months and defend a profitable starting point. I always like when I hear if your first sale is your worst sale, sure. are you going to be mad at $6? Correct. That's, yep. that's, a, that's a great thing to remember. Brian, real quick, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts you would want to share? Anything on your mind here as we really dive into 2023? You know, one of the things I talked about at the conference today was, you know, the, the excitement we have in the renewable fuel space, especially renewable diesel, and we can spend a whole other segment talking about it. But I really do believe we, we, we have a, a great story in U.S. agriculture for the next several years. That doesn't mean we're going to have the same profit margins or the same prices, but I think the demand base that we're building in this country is is continuing to to outshine, you know, maybe what our export opportunities are. So I, I really think the U.S. continues to do a great job of building domestic demand, domestic value-added efforts, and renewable diesel is is just the front and center uh, storyline along that same theme today. Well, I would agree, and I would agree we could spend another segment talking about it. We'll have to save that conversation for another day, sir. Anytime. Brian Burke, president of John Stewart & Associates JSA here at the agmarket.net Farming for Profit, Not Price Conference. Brian, thanks so much for the time. Anytime.
And we appreciate his time and insight. Again, the president of John Stewart and Associates, Brian Burke, and, of course, agmarket.net is a division of JSA. We appreciate him joining us here as we're broadcasting uh, from the agmarket.net Farming for Profit Not Price Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Coming up here next on the program, we are going to wrap things up here from the conference. We're going to talk a little bit dairy. We're also going to get a little bit of cattle thoughts in there as well. Robin Schmall with agmarket.net. He is going to join us here on on the way next as we're back with more market talk on the way right after this keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation this is market talk now back to jesse allen and joining us now here live at the agmarket.net farming for profit not price conference in nashville tennessee robin schmall he is with ag dairy in partnership with agmarket.net and the dairy division of jsa and robin appreciate a few minutes of your time sir great to uh, talk with you here in nashville hope you're doing well yeah i'm doing well and it's great to have met you and yeah be part of this i you know i've i've heard uh heard a lot of your commentary read a lot of your commentary before it's nice to uh put a face to the the name <laughs> and sit down and, and have a chat here a little ways from dairy country in in tennessee but still um plenty of things i know we could talk about when it comes to the dairy industry and i think just to start kind of the broad thousand foot view i know this dairy market's been volatile um, looking at things here, beginning of February, what are some of the trends you're watching, whether we're talking milk, butter, cheese? Uh, kind of walk me through what really stands out to you right now. Well, what really stands out to me is we've, we've once we got past our concern last year, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know about the um, butter shortage that was supposed to happen, and it did never materialize. And once that market peaked out at a record high on October 6th, um, it started moving down. A couple of reasons. First, the, because of that concern, a lot of consumers went out and bought butter and froze it. Mm-hmm. That was the big push. Well, then they didn't have to buy it quite so much after a while. But the, the, the main reason that I didn't think we were going to run into a shortage was because if we were into a shortage, we would have seen a lot higher butter prices than there were. That ran its course, as markets always do. They peak out, they run their course, either reduces demand, supply increases, and we saw that. I mean, we saw more cream come on the market for butter. We saw increased production. We went from inventory 22% below the previous year in August to ending the year at 9% above the previous year. That's how we started building some of that butter inventory. Now, we've been moving into this year and through this year so far, which isn't very far, but in a bearish mode. Mm-hmm. And the traders have become accustomed to these price bounces being short-lived. So they haven't followed those with the futures. Movement, but minor, mm-hmm. as well as the downside. Didn't go quite as far down as it's been because there's been this overall bearish attitude Buyers would buy when they needed to, but then they were buying more hand-to-mouth. Forward contracting wasn't being done in a very great amount like normally would start to be done now. We saw dry whey and non-fat dry milk prices decrease for a year. Mm-hmm. So we're in this mode right now that puts the market into a place where traders want to see the market prove itself before they will become a little more interested in going long in this market or buy into this market or have a little bit better positive attitude. 
I think in the milk market as well, you know, <clears throat> end of last year, we were seeing prices in the low 20s. Now we're down 1790, 1760 range. So obviously, pretty big drop in the milk market in class three futures here in the last couple of months. And I'm, I would have to think that that's got some of our, our dairy men and women a little bit concerned, possibly. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> and I hear that here all the time uh, that if the prices stay down here, we can't make it. Mm -hmm. We're going to go out of business. Well, there's, there's something to that because feed prices are high, labor is high, and that's cutting into that a, a, a lot. So the higher cost of production has made that more of a, a, an, a concern. Now, the bottom line of all of that saying that is the market doesn't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. It runs by that supply and demand, just like all markets do, supply and demand. But it is concerning now once they start getting these February, March prices through, February price they'll, they'll see in their mailbox in March, March and April, it's going to really start having an impact. Now, will the culling pick up like it did back in 2001, 2022? Uh, 2021, 2022. Surprisingly, December milk production report, we saw 8,000 less cows than we saw in November. Hmm. We might be starting to see a little bit of a hurt and increased culling sooner than what I had anticipated we would see. And that might start putting more concern into those buyers of the end user or the end product. Very interesting thoughts there. And I wonder, that lets me segue into the broader cattle market a little bit with you as well. Obviously, we've seen a big liquidation of the herd the last year or so with the drought and more. And talking to a lot of ranchers, it seems to be a lot of optimism despite the herd being very, very small, record low numbers here we saw in the cattle inventory report with that beef cow herd. What are your thoughts in this cattle market? A lot of folks I talk to are very bullish and have been very bold up here for at least a year, but we haven't broken out to the top side yet, Robin. What's your thoughts on that? Is that bullish momentum? Is there still reason for that bullish optimism in the cattle market? Well, I think there's reason for the bullish optimism, but we are going to see not exactly right now, but we are going to see that pendulum switch a little over some time. But, you know, we can't just pull out our bag of heifer seed, water it, all of a sudden we have heifer calves, we have, you know, cows that we can breed. But I think we're starting to head that way. The, the, the reason we're not really breaking out to the upside right now, of course, there had been concern about the economy. Interest rates, that seems to be tempering a little bit. But... The other side of it, since we've seen the beginning of this year, we have seen boxed beef prices trending lower. That may be an indication that consumers have said, our grocery bills are high, we're going to back off on some of the choice to select cuts, we might buy more ground beef and things like that. But that's where the real rubber is going to meet the road, is obviously where that demand is going to be. But you can only push the consumer or a market so far and I use the phrase with customers that there could be only one cow left in the U.S., but if nobody wants it, it doesn't make any difference. And I, that's, that's yeah. I think, where we are. I think that's a, a great point for us to wrap up on as we uh, near time here. Robin, appreciate a few minutes of your time and uh, look forward to talking again in the future. This has been great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And it's good to meet you and be part of what you're doing. And again, Robin Schmall with agmarket.net. That's going to do it for today's episode of Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.